Hello, this is William Fink of Christagenia.org, and this is Christagenia Saturdays. Today is Saturday, June 23rd, 2018. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and thank you for listening. Before I begin, I'd like to say that I don't have very good expectations of this program tonight. I, I mean, I'm sure it'll be fine, but... I have had no time at all to prepare for it. I've spent most of this week attending to the affairs of Clifton Emmerheiser, who was hospitalized on Thursday with, um, oh, good fortune. Clifton had a fall and didn't break anything. However, he's weak. His heart's in poor condition. He's, um... His medication is being changed, and he has very bad stenosis in his lower spine, which causes him a lot of pain in addition to his heart problems. I pray that he goes into um, physical therapy, I believe, by Tuesday, and that within two weeks he'll be back home here in Panama City. That's the plan right now. He'll have a... Um, a lumbar brace for support to his spine and, and a couple of other amenities in order to facilitate his return home. And and um, I think it'll go well. Clifton, I saw him today. He's in good spirits and he certainly does want to come back home. So the next few weeks, time will tell. And hopefully we'll have Clifton around for a few more years if we can. He's currently 91 years old. And we don't want to let him go so soon. If that's all I have to say, that's what I'm going to say. Tonight we have our friend Don Fox here to bail us out once again. I, I had contacted Don on Wednesday knowing that my schedule this week would be constrained and and Don volunteered himself to bail me out and 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 do two programs with me at the end of this month instead of only one two of these end times updates this week and next are are planned tonight we are going to discuss Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39 we've been hitting on this camp of the saints scenario and revelation chapter 20 which we are confident is what the nations of the nations formerly known as christendom what we are suffering at this very period in history is this camp of the saints scenario well, Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39 actually parallel that prophecy in Revelation chapter 20. They are both, they are each, and I will discuss this a little later on this evening, they are each separate visions of the same events which are prophesied in the Camp of the Saints scenario in Revelation chapter 20. Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39 are not consecutive. They are both visions of the same events. They, they are a Hebrew parallelism, which occurs frequently in the scriptures and several times in Ezekiel. So with this, we will introduce Donald Fox. Hello, Don.
Hello, Bill. How, How are we you doing, doing on this fine Saturday evening? Wonderful. I, I mean, we're going to give this our best shot, and, and we can. Uh, I mean, I believe that I can nail Ezekiel 38-39. I just don't know if I'm prepared to do that tonight. But we will do it in a series to show that these prophecies certainly are parallel to what we see in Revelation chapter 20. Yeah, I have not read these uh, two chapters in detail since um, your show um, you had done back in March of 2016 called Christian Expectations. And, well, I, you know, I guess and before I get going here, i just like to say, you know, all of our thoughts and prayers are with Clifton. Um, the man's a true giant in, uh, in, in biblical research, and uh, we hope that he makes it home and uh, has a couple more, couple, three, four more, more years, uh, good years left in him. Thank you. And um, that was the show um, that uh, the March twelfth, twenty sixteen. So yeah, I'm looking at uh, your your page here on Crystal Guinea, Christian Expectations. And I had done a uh, after I heard that show, I had been listening to your stuff since the fall of twenty fifteen. So and, and after I had heard this Christian Expectations show. Something told me in my head, you know, I've got to figure out a way to work with Bill Fink. You know, I mean, I don't know scripture that well, only, you know, what I had read as a kid. And then, you know, listening to some of your stuff and and believe it or not, Eli James um, was kind of Eli James was really my first kind of exposure to, to Christian identity. That's sad. And, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, you know, we all get here from from some angle or other. I'm kidding. You know? <laughs> I know. And. And I was I was going through it again today, and you know, the, well, actually, the last few days since you called, and I looked at, you know, I'd been looking around for uh, some good sources on Ezekiel thirty-eight and thirty-nine just to see what people were saying, you know, get up to speed with the current dogma. And the, of course, the best stuff I found was on Christogenia. But back in say the summer of twenty fifteen. You know, spring and summer of that year, I was watching a lot of uh, end time stuff on YouTube, and I had come across Joel Richardson, and you know that was one of the names I, I had come across, and uh, you know Chris White was another one, and uh, I I listened to those guys' stuff, and and that's all the standard churchianity type stuff, and you know looking back on it now, I'm pretty sure Joel Richardson. Richardson is a Jew. That's not his real name. It's a pen name. Oh, I'm certain he's a Jew just from looking yeah. at his pictures. Yeah, if if he's not a Jew, I I would be I would be stunned. You know, but I, well, I don't well, think any, even a DNA test would convince me of that. I listened to the clip that you selected. It it might be a good place to start, because um, people will begin to hopefully see some contrast in the biblical interpretation the techniques between myself and and this jew this joel richardson i, I mean it, it's pretty sad to me that ah yeah you know christ basically condemned judea your house will be left to you desolate and prophesied nothing but punishment for those people Nothing but um, harassment and, and persecution for his enemies. And, and that they would ultimately all be destroyed. 
Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39 are a story of great salvation for the people of God when they are besieged that this yet you know there's a lot of um similarities between the mountains of Israel and and what we see happening in Palestine that the Jews will take advantage of in order to convince you that they are the people of God and that these things are happening to them but if you really look at the entire prophecy and other parallel prophecies you'll find that 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 is by no means plausible it, it's not plausible at all and this has to be speaking of something else and something much greater it, it's I, I mean it'll unfold I'm certain after we um, begin to expound on the actual text of Ezekiel yeah, I'm, yeah. Um, just yeah, like I said, I was going through that text again and, and having the perspective on it that I do today after doing you know all this study on Revelation and and the related work. It's Ezekiel is even a little clearer vision uh, in spots. There, there. Well, there's maybe a, a couple of uh, nuggets in there that aren't in Revelation. And I guess and you could say that Revelation has a couple of pieces that aren't in Ezekiel. Well, right, but that's why you got to put them together. To, to really yeah. get the whole picture. Yeah, and then it, 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 the picture starts coming into focus then, and and it, it's, you know, and when you listen to a guy like Joel Richardson, I mean, he's he's pretty smooth, and he's trying to sell himself as a, uh, you know, as a white Christian person, and when he obviously isn't. And you can see where, I mean, this guy is pretty slick. I mean, Satan is slick, and this guy can sucker people in, and people that don't have the foundation to interpret the Bible correctly, they're going to get taken in by a guy like this. And, I mean, it happened to me, you know, three short years ago. So is, is, as far as off base as Joel Richardson is, um, maybe some of his followers, um, maybe we can reach a couple of them and maybe they'll end up over here. Well, well wow. Yes, this is slick. What what Joel Richardson is really doing is he is he has developed a theology here which maintains the Zionist paradigm and the Zionist claims to Palestine and portrays the Muslims as the enemies of God. Yes, he's he's the big anti-Muslim guy. So he's this is the guy that is trying to uh, convince Christians that Jews are the chosen people and that we need to protect them from the evil Muzzies. While the West is flooded with evil evil Muzzies at the same time. Correct. Which yeah. makes no sense at all if you really sit and look at it. <laughs> They're being forced on Europe and America these Muslims, but. We have to save the Jews from them. Yeah, I know. It, it, it makes no sense. So, Israel, you know, the, the outlaw state in, in Palestine, they can put up walls to keep the Muslims out. But here we have to embrace them. And rabbis are, are uh, lobbying to get more of them in here. Right, absolutely. It's, it, it's incredibly um, hypocritical policy. And, and for the West, it's a policy of self-destruction. Of course, 
we are the real object of Ezekiel 38 and 39 and and this policy is one of the ways that the satanic assault on the camp of the saints is actually being carried out so it all yeah, plays I, into I, prophecy I, just not the way most people think correct yeah i mean and i've gotten some flack on uh, gab and some other places you know for my views on prophecy and they're like oh a a lot of denominational christians don't think that gog and magog is going to happen for another thousand years yet until the millennium is over and so there's that group of people but then there's guys like joel richardson who who will tell you that Gog and Magog is getting ready to happen any day now, and it's it's Russia and the Muzzies all going to flood into Israel. Well, well, the truth is that, that Gog and Magog were um, effigies used in the Olympics in, in London recently, and they were parading Gog and Magog through the streets of London, these effigies. And Gog and Magog were termed the protectors of, of London and that is really true because the Jews of London the Jews of the city they are Satan and they're telling on themselves all the time but Christians are too stupid to see it yeah I mean they a lot of our white brothers fall for this, uh, the satanic Jewish propaganda just hook, line, and sinker. And, I mean, I spent a, a big chunk of my life falling for it. And, you know, and a lot of the people I know still fall for it. And, I mean, for me, you know, and I, as I mentioned before, I mean, I didn't really get hip to the JQ until I got knee-deep in 9-11 research. And then it's like you cannot avoid the Jewish question if you're really trying to get to the bottom of 9-11. And then that sort of dovetailed with my JFK research, and holy cow, a ton of Jews in there too. And it's like, what's going on? Well, the, the ultimate goal of world Jewry is the destruction of Western white Christian civilization. And what do we see here in Ezekiel and in, in, in Revelation? We see Gog and Magog destroying white Christian civilization. Well, well, the problem with Christians is that they don't think, they don't, they don't believe their New Testaments. Uh, I mean, look at this word, saints. Paul of Tarsus wrote all of his epistles to the saints and to people called saints or called to be saints, as the King James has it and discusses the poor saints and the, the many saints and widows and, and all the churches, not synagogues, all the churches of the saints and the ministry of the saints. So if the camp of the saints is surrounded, are the saints Christians or are the saints Jews? I know. It, it's when, when you look at it from that angle, it's... It, it's real easy to put together, but there, there's been a lot of, you know, time and energy and resources put into deceiving everybody. Um, you know, the Schofield Bible, um, you know, your televangelists, you know, your John Hagees. I mean, there's a lot of effort, a lot of money spent to Buffalo people. 
and people, you know, hey, I'm working full time. I don't have time to break all this down. I've got a wife and two kids or whatever. This is an it's easy believism. Right. Well, they don't have to read their Bible. Revelation chapter 16, verse 6. I'm sorry. Yeah, verse 6. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. So are the saints the Jews when <clears throat> that they're coupled with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus and the Jews hate Jesus and they deny Jesus. They crucify Jesus, yeah. And that was another point, you know, we had, we had a little go-around um, this week on Gab with, uh, you know, a possible shill or, you know, I don't really know this guy's story, but um, he said, well, the, the Jews rejected Jesus. And I said, my, my contention is, is that actually Christ rejected them. Well, well, right, because they were supposed to reject him. Yeah, and you don't and believe is, me because you're not my sheep, like I told yeah. you. That's what he said. <clears throat> and then because he, because Christ, because God rejected them, the only hope for the Jews is to kill God and kill His people. So that's why there's this assault going on. Well, of course, because if God and His people triumph, the Jews will be wiped out. Right, that's why the Jews are, are after every last white Christian. They, they want to destroy Christianity first from society, and, and they've virtually done that from mainstream society, and, and they want to destroy the people of Christ or the white Christians secondly. I mean, that's right out of the protocols. Yes, sir. We shall deny Christ. We shall forbid Christ. And, and they've basically done that. They've taken the Bibles out of the schools for, for 60 years now, 70 years now. And, and yeah, it, yeah, right out of the protocol number four, we shall destroy God. And they've done that. They've done that. It, it's um, people that express a belief in God are mocked today, especially in academic circles. It is indispensable for us to undermine all faith, to tear out of the mind of the goyim the very principle of Godhead and the spirit, and to put in its place arithmetical, arith arithmetical uh, calculations and material needs. So, um, it they wanted to take away our spirituality. They want to, and it, it also says in there, uh, you know, we'll rewrite history for our benefit. Um, so they're going to take away our past. See, Jews are the biggest identity thieves ever. They've they've hijacked our, our very identity. They want to be they want to kill us and become the new white people. Well, well, there's no doubt they want to become the only white people. They don't really care if they're white. They're not white, but but they appear to be white. And they're at the top of the heap, so that's all they want. Yeah, they they want to rule a brown mass of so-called humanity. Well, we could play this tape from this Joel Richardson turkey just so that people get an idea and, and people who are new to this topic get an idea of what these yes. um, what these mainstream pretend interpreters of prophecy 
say about Ezekiel 38 and 39 and how they politicize it in order to um, in order to advance the Zionist cause and I might stop this tape a few times just so that we could address aspects of it but we should probably play this now and get it out of the way and and then sure. I would like to get into some of the meat of Ezekiel 38 and 39 with some background first because that is that that is important so okay let's, yeah, let's go ahead and play some of that clip the introduction is horrible angels enough waging war in the unseen realm right, right there angels waging war in the unseen realm it, it's total um Wow, that's just, he's just hypothesizing. It's not even a hypothesis. It doesn't qualify. It, it's just a fantasy religion. But we, we, we can continue. Global events fulfilling biblical prophecy. Eternal life. What lies beyond mortality? From analyzing the paranormal from a biblical worldview to the discussion of cutting-edge science and technology, conspiracy, discovery, special investigative reports, unafraid to explore the challenging issues facing humanity, welcome to another edition of Skywatch TV. Skywatch TV, he sounds like a UFO nut. And angels waging warning unseen realm skywatch tv i don't know much about this guy but that's what he sounds like but we'll we'll continue with him <coughs> excuse me one of the greatest slaughters in all of human history is prophesied to take place someday in the future just east of the dead sea Welcome to Skywatch TV. I'm Derek Gilbert. We're talking about the prophecy of Gog and Magog, Ezekiel 38, 39, other parallels in the Bible with um, a gentleman who is, uh, well, an incredible scholar of uh, Bible prophecy and especially end times prophecy. He's the best-selling author of such books as Mystery Babylon, When a Jew Rules the World, Mideast Beast, and uh, you'll find him online at joelstrumpet.com. We welcome Joel Richardson back to Skywatch TV. Joel, thank you. Derek, always um, Gog, Magog, that's... Uh, what, along with Mystery Babylon, we talked about uh, last time, is, is one of the most intriguing sections of the Bible. And obviously there are connections between what Ezekiel saw and what John the Revelator saw and wrote about in, in Revelation. Um, but when you start pulling on those threads, there's just an awful lot there. I, I think maybe next to Mystery Babylon, the identity of Gog and Magog are two of the most uh, intriguing mysteries that we've yet to unravel in Scripture. Um, who do you see, and who are some of the other candidates that have been proposed by prophecy scholars over the over the centuries? Sure. Well, first of all, let me just say this. If you go back and survey how Christians and Jews viewed the prophecy of Gog Magog, down through most of history, up until about 100 years ago, um, they all believed that Gog was talking about the Antichrist, mm -hmm. that this is the same individual. Um, after the birth of dispensationalism sort of came the idea that Gog is a preliminary, different invader of Israel. And after he's destroyed, that clears the path for a different invader. That's the Antichrist. Okay. So then if Gog is Antichrist, then what we're talking about, then you, you sort of have to uh, assume that the Gog-Magog War and the Battle of Armageddon 
happen at the same time, one and the same, basically. The way I say it is Gog Magog culminates with the Battle of Armageddon. Okay. Because when you look at the prophecy of Gog Magog, it begins where God says, um, you know, in the latter days, a thought will come into your mind. And you say, I will invade a land of unwalled villages. So it begins with just the idea. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, it, we go into the planning stages to the actual invasion and ultimately Gog and his hordes destruction. So that's not something that happens in a day. Um, at times it mentions in the prophecy in that day. And so mm-hmm. a lot of people have said, this all happens in one day. I go, okay, so you're trying to tell me that somebody has an idea of invading. He gathers a multinational coalition, invades Israel and gets destroyed all in a single day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's obviously a stretch. It, it's, it's simply an expression when it says in that day. It's talking about that time period. Um, so, <clears throat> yeah. I, I want to stop right there for a moment. That, that um, the Antichrist, right? That they're taking it for granted that there is a future super-duper Antichrist in, 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 in prophecy. And, and that's simply not true. The word Antichrist is used five times usually um, in the plural by the Apostle John and it's only used in scripture by the Apostle John I'm sorry it's usually in the singular it's one time in the plural and John is actually when he uses it in the singular he is using it um, collectively as an adjective like where he says, for many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is coming to flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. So there were antichrists at John's in John's day, at John's time, in um, two John chapter one verse seven, in one John chapter two verse eighteen. Little children, it is it is the last time, the present tense, in John's time as he writes. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. So who's the Antichrist? Those you know, there's, who- all this, there's all this speculation around, well, is it this world leader, is it that world leader, you know? It's those who deny that Jesus Christ is coming to flesh. It's those who deny that Jesus is the Christ in 1 John chapter 2, verse 22, who is a liar, but he that denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is an antichrist that denies the Father and the Son. So that describes the Jews. In John's day, it doesn't describe anybody else. It describes the Jews. The Jews. The Jews are Satan. And they are the Antichrist. The word Satan means opponent or opposition. And collectively... Adversary, yeah. Adversary. Collectively, they are the adversary of the Christ. And they're the ones that are denying that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah. They're the Antichrist, according to the way the word is used in Scripture. There's no other legitimate way to use the word. They're taking unrelated um, prophecies about beasts and dragons, and they're, they're forcing this interpretation of a future Antichrist when John said that even now there are many Antichrists. 
and he describes those people who deny that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah, he describes them as the Antichrist, and that can only describe the Jews of his time. Yeah, but here comes here comes the anti one of the Antichrists himself to tell you how wonderful Jews are and that they need to be protected from the Muzzies. Well, well, right, and and we could continue with this. Yeah. Most uh, commentators believed it was the Antichrist. Matthew Henry um, is the first reference that we have in terms of, well, who are we talking about, where he says, some people find them far off in Scythia and Tartari, mm -hmm. so essentially moving up toward the Russian regions. Others find them closer in Asia Minor, i.e. modern-day Turkey. So this, these are the two primary location, primary candidates. Is it Russia? Is it Turkey? I take the position um, that it's Turkey, and I think history, and I think the text itself, and so many other issues point to that region of Asia Minor, again, modern-day Turkey, um, rather than that sort of very popular, very well-known mm -hmm. uh, Russian interpretation. Now, the Russian interpretation, um, when, when did that become popular, and why is that sort of like the default setting now for people looking at this prophecy? Well, um, again, there's there's some slightly technical issues. For instance, it says, you know, you, Gog of Magog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the word there, chief prince, is Rosh. So this is in the Hebrew, you know, Rosh Kadesh, Rosh Hashanah. Right. It's the head. Some people, going all the way back to the Septuagint, it's interpreted as a proper noun. It's like a place. Mm -hmm. So others say, no, it's not a place. It's just, you know, means chief, head. Um, so this has been a debate within translation all the way back to the Septuagint. Um, interestingly enough, um, Daniel Block, he wrote a two-volume commentary on Ezekiel. I jokingly refer to Daniel Block as the Ezekiel wizard. I mean, this guy, he literally parked himself and just poured into this book for 20 years. And oh. he, he wrote the definitive commentary on it. And he says, look, both sides make some excellent points. He goes... You know, it's a descriptive, but it is a, a noun. And his ultimate solution is he says that it should be um, you, Ogog, chief prince. He leans toward the chief prince, mm -hmm. but it's a comma um, of Meshach Tubal. So in any case, he and pretty much most of Hebrew scholarship today sides with Block. They go, he pretty uh, okay, notice that he, he's talking about the land of Gog and Magog, and he just sides with that being in Turkey. And, and he doesn't give any um, hard historical evidence whatsoever to support that. Then, concerning the meaning of this word Russ, and we'll discuss it before this night is over, I hope. And he sides with this guy who, had, and, and this is like an appeal to authority. This guy who supposedly studied this for 20 years and never really made up his own mind except to say that both sides of the interpretation of this word have valid points and he just picked one himself but without giving any definite basis for why he chose it so so these are all subjective that these are all um subjective decisions which lead to these opinions that are being formulated here but they're really not grounded in any scripture and any of yeah. their interpretation. It's really not grounded in history or in scripture. So so let's continue with that. Okay. Settled the debate. So that's the reason is some people saw the word Rosh and they thought that meant Russia. Russia, yeah. So that's where it started. 
but then you kind of get... Even though the Kievan Rus, uh, the, the Vikings, basically, who came down the uh, the Volga, didn't get there until like the 10th or 11th century. Yeah, and that's, that's the issue. So yeah. essentially, this is an important kind of, but it's easy to understand. There are two ways of interpreting all the names in the prophecy. One is to say, how did Ezekiel and his immediate audience understand right, him? Right. The other one is this incredibly detailed historical tracing them down through history. Now, so what people do is they do that with Rosh and mm -hmm. Magog, and they go, go, Magog became the Scythians, they migrated up around the black, became Russia, etc. But I go, if you do that with Magog, you have to do it with all of the other names. Right, right. You can't just do it with Magog. So I always point out, for instance, Gomer became the Gemari, became the Sumerians, became the Celts. Right, right. But you don't have any book. Now, now here he's saying Gomer became the Gemari. And, and that's a subjective subjective um, relationship that he gives no substantial evidence to support. So he's basically saying that the Cimmerians and the Scythians are Gomer. And that's a connection that was made 2,000 years ago. Josephus made it. But he had no evidence upon which to base it. However, linguistic evidence linguistic evidence allows me to assert that the Qumri of the Assyrians were the house of Omri of Israel and that's how they are identified in scripture and by the Assyrian period Gomer has basically disappeared from history even though Gomer is mentioned in this end times prophecy of Ezekiel chapter 38 there is no historic Gomer in Mesopotamia or in Anatolia in any inscriptions but when the children of Israel are deported by the Assyrians in the Assyrian inscriptions they're identified as Qumri and they were known as Qumri first which is the real root of the Greek word Kimeroi or Kimerian and the later Aramaic word Gemiri so it, it's it, it's a false pass to identify Gomer as the Cimmerians. And, and I had to respond to that. So we'll continue. It's out there that say the coming Irish invasion of Israel. <laughs> That's right. It's always Russia. Now the Scots, uh, I don't yeah, know about maybe. that, but maybe. Uh, but no, that's a really good point. Uh, you can't pick and choose. Right. Now, it seems to me, and, and uh, again, I, I'm, I'm late to this, uh, this party when it comes to understanding Bible prophecy. Uh, I've been pulling on some of the threads in Ezekiel here lately, but it seemed to me that the, uh, the thought or the, 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 uh, the predominant thought identifying Russia as Gog uh, not only coming from you know the, the uh, Rosh and, and Meshach, some trying to read Moscow into that, um, comes from the the phrase used here, the the uttermost north, uh, coming from the uttermost parts of the north with all his hordes. Yep. Uh, when you draw a line north from Jerusalem, you're pretty much pointing right at Moscow. Yeah, yeah. So Safon, so sort of the uttermost parts of the north. Am I pronouncing that right? Mm -hmm. Safon. But here's what's interesting: is they go, well, Magog comes from Safon, the uttermost parts of the north. The, the furthest north, so that must be Russia. But the ve here's what's so strange. The very same commentaries or prophecy books that say that, just a couple verses <laughs> later, where it says Beth to Gorma mm -hmm. is also from the uttermost parts of the north. Yeah. And then they go, but that's talking about eastern Turkey right, or right. Armenia. Mm -hmm. And then they, but then a couple verses early, they, they go, that can only mean Russia. 
But then the exact same phrase is used, and they go, well, but Tagorma was in Turkey. And I go, mm -hmm. wait a minute, you just disproved your own argument. Yeah. And so it doesn't, other, the uttermost parts of the North is the North Pole. Yeah. And so if we're going to be hyper-literal, hyper-rigid, then we're talking the North Pole. But in, yeah, well, you know, the Russians are making moves on that, too. So that uh, Magog is an underground yeah. UFO um, compound in the North Pole, possibly yeah, run by the Russians. Uh, and, but I think a lot of this comes out of the uh, the Cold War, uh, to right. be honest. Magog is an underground UFO complex in the North Pole that the out uttermost parts of the North aren't the North Pole. There's no reason to believe that the Greeks described the uttermost parts of the North, the, the land under the bears as being around the Danube River. But because it was impossible for men to live much further north than that until we developed better technology or until the climate warmed after the first century BC. And, and the tribes in Central Europe were able to move further west into Western Europe it, 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 and, and further north. It's the climate actually warmed. There was a... a very frigid climate that made it impossible for men to live very far north of the Danube. In the time of Herodotus, who described that land as being virtually empty north of the Danube. And from then <clears throat> until the first century BC, the climate began to warm and tribes were able to migrate from Eurasia into Western Europe in, in the north and along the Baltic Sea that they really couldn't for a long time live there. And, and the, the archaeology demonstrates that for a long time that land was pretty much vacant. So I'm, I'm going to just note that, that the uttermost parts of the north is not necessarily the, the North Pole. It simply describes the edge of the <clears throat> Oikumene, the edge of, of the world meaning a geographical area where it was as far north as man could possibly live. In, in Ezekiel's days, that probably described the north ends of the Black and Caspian Sea and, and not the North Pole at all. Let me continue with that. I think a lot of this in, in the second half of the 20th century with Russia as the, uh, the chief enemy of the United States, and this, I think, was where a, a lot of this has come from. And it's timely that we're talking about this again, because in the news over the last 18 months or so, uh, the, th there seems to be this push by political elites in the United States to demonize Russia. Not that Russia has our best interests at heart. Right. You know, our friend C Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis will be, say very plainly, Russia is not our friend. Having said that, I think we've got a greater enemy to worry about here than Vladimir Putin. Yeah, the way I, the way I, I express it is I say, look, Ezekiel never mentions names Russia. That doesn't mean that Russia is not going to be involved. That doesn't mean that Russia is not relevant. Of course it is. Uh, Russia is a big issue. But I don't believe the prophecy is talking about Russia. Now, right now, um, you know, I work with ministries. We're doing work in Syria. So, you know, we've really, we're working actually with the IDF, sending Christian doctors and missionaries into Syria. Um, so I, I've really got sort of my thumb on the pulse of what's going on. But think about this reality. I mean, this is, I get all kinds of intel. Right now in Syria, Russian troops, yes, Turkish troops, yeah. Iranian troops, Chinese troops, American troops, yes. uh, French troops. There's Pakistanis. There's Afghanis being paid by Iranians, and they're all right there and on Israel's northern border, not to mention Syrian troops, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, you talk about a powder keg. 
and Russia is one of the key players in all of that. So I think you know Russia clearly could be you know part of the fuse that that lights a lot of this. Mm -hmm. uh, my point is just that we need to focus on what the scriptures say, and we need to be careful not to make assumptions where the scriptures are silent. Yeah. One of the uh, interesting things politically over the last year, too, is the, uh, well, last several years, because you've been talking about this fellow for a while, Turkey's president, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, who seems to have uh, this sense of destiny, mm -hmm. or seems to believe he's destined to restore Turkey to its former glory, which, of course, was the Ottoman Empire. Yeah. Um, what role does Turkey play in all of this as a political entity? There's a few issues that are all sort of coming together at once. Right now in Turkey, you have the emergence of Turkish nationalism off the chain. When I say nationalism, I mean this idea that they are superior. Okay, it's the same kind of nationalism that we saw in Nazi Germany. Mm. Now, what's fascinating is one of the previous um, prime ministers in Turkey, he was this guy named Ahmet Davutoglu. Mm -hmm. um, Erdogan actually yes. got rid of him because he wasn't like, uh, you know, Playing, you know, playing the game and, and treating him like the, the sole ruler. But he really, he was with Erdogan for about 10, 12 years. He was the architect. Now, he was a college professor who went on to become a politician, very mm -hmm. similar to a previous American administration. But he wrote a book um, called Strategic Depth. And in that, he lays out sort of his philosophy for the future of Turkey. And he says, we're no longer someone who our, our future is dictated by other nations. No, we lead the future. We, we, you know, according to our dreams. But he repeatedly quotes a German political philosopher who um, was a very popular with the Nazis. And he articulated something called in German, Liebenstrom, mm -hmm. which is living space. And so throughout this guy's book, Davutulu's book, he talks about living space, except he applies it to Turkey. So it's so fascinating that today the, the, the political party, the Islamist political party leading Turkey, is actually drawing from Nazi political philosophers, mm. arguing once again that the Ottomans will revive, that they'll go back. And they're talking mm. in very paternal tones. You know, we are the leader of the Islamic world. Just yesterday, um, at the time of this recording, one of the party uh, heads was in Brussels, again, the heart of Europe, rallying with a bunch of Turks, saying, the Ottomans have awakened. Turkey, the giant of Turkey has awakened. Turkey has arisen. Hmm. Now, what do the scriptures say? It says, in the last days, a beast, which is, uh, it's the empire, yea, the emperor, it's the kingdom, yea, the king, will suffer a fatal head wound mm -hmm. and then come back. And in so many ways, the Ottoman Empire suffered the fatal head wound in 1923 when the Ottoman Empire was dissolved. In so many ways, it's reviving right in front of us. Hmm. It's, um, yeah, there, there have been a number of uh, stories that have caught my attention recently. The, uh, the, they appear to be ready to go to war with Greece over some islands in the Aegean that uh, the Turks have claimed that the uh, Greeks, re, uh, I guess, got back in their War of Independence. Um, it's... Uh, is something that we, we here in the United States don't pay enough attention to because we tend to be very um, inward focused. If it's not about Donald Trump or, well, Donald Trump, then we, we don't, <laughs> or, or Hillary, yeah. Uh, we're not really paying attention to it. Um, boy, uh, the, 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 the other participants in, in uh, the Gog-Magog conflict, uh, Ezekiel names them Persia, Cush, and Put. Uh, you know, after naming all of these different uh, entities, uh, people groups that uh, come from Asia Minor or somewhere in the north, um, how do we interpret that? These other, you know, Kush, uh, Sudan, put uh, Li Li Libya uh, and uh, Persia, of course, Iran. How do we interpret those? Yeah, I mean, very simply, Persia being essentially modern-day Iran correlates 
pretty closely to Iran. Um, Kush, often Bible translations say Ethiopia, as you said, Sudan, northern Sudan is much better. If this was immediately south of Egypt where mm-hmm. the River Nile splits, which it basically splits at Khartoum. Um, and well, well, that was a very simplistic um, deception aimed at well, making us believe that the Muslims are the enemy and they're against the people of God, the Jews, and... and <laughs> That they even have um, Revelation chapter 13 figured into the mix from one line of Revelation chapter 13. He he creates this narrative that these Turks are the Antichrist, and we have to save yeah. Israel from the from, or, or the the Jews, the real Antichrist. We have to save the the, the real Antichrist from the Turks. It, it's. <laughs> It's wrong yeah. on so many levels, but notice he just picks and chooses a, a, a verse from Scripture here and a verse from Scripture there and takes them out of their own context to create a narrative which the Scripture does not present. See, that, that that's the exact key point. Okay, so, you know, our, I think our working theory is, is that, you know, Joel Richardson, A, it's not his real name. I don't know what his real name is or what his background is, but to me, this guy's got to be a Jew. And whenever you hear a Jew, and this guy's obviously a high-level orator. I mean, he's 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 very slick. And you know, if people can uh, find this video on YouTube, I I think it's Gog and Magog. I think if you punch Gog and Magog, Joel Richardson in there, it'll come up. Or go to Sky, look for Skywatch TV on on YouTube. Now, this this video has been out for about ten days now, you know, at the time of this recording, and they've got forty one thousand views now. Meanwhile, my JFK show has been completely uh, showed off of YouTube. We're over on one five three news dot net, and that that's where you can catch me now, folks. If you want to watch the JFK show, I'm on there several times a month. We record it on Wednesday. It's usually up there on Thursday, and I'm getting about you know three, four, five hundred views, <laughs> you know. Because we're we're not we've been banished from the main platform, so this is a very slick production. And whenever you get one of these high-level Jews doing a slick production like this, you almost have to listen to it two or three times and take notes because you have to parse out everything. And that's kind of what Bill's been doing here. Um, okay, this is a half truth here, and there is a lie there, and we we pick a little bit out of this scripture and a little bit out of that one, and we twist it into a narrative that benefits the kikes. Well, well right, even with um, Togarma, that this is another name that, that only appears a couple of times in Scripture and appears in Ezekiel chapter 27 as one of the tribes that had been engaged in trade with the Tyrians. And it appears here in Ezekiel chapter 38 that, that the house of Togarma of the North Quarters and all his bands will be with Gog from the land of Magog. Now, their identification of Gog and Magog with Russia is only half true. Their identification of Togarma with the Turks really isn't true at all. Their identification of Ethiopia with Sudan is not true at all. Their identification of um, Gog and Magog is half-assed, to say the least. They're, they they didn't that they 
sort of did properly identify Meshek and, and Tubal. They are the Slavic tribes, or two of the Slavic tribes of modern Russia. But in the days of Ezekiel, they dwelt in what we know now as Turkey. They dwelt along the southern end, end of the Black Sea. They're described by the Greek historian Herodotus as the Moschi, which is his way of transliterating the word Mesek, and the Tibarni, which is his way of transliterating the word Tobol. But they were eventually pushed north by larger and stronger Scythian tribes into around the Black Sea over the Caucasus Mountains what with greater migrations of people from Mesopotamia and, and eventually settled in places that we know today as Russia. Russia was never um, the, the Slavs were never one great tribe of people. Russia is comprised of a, a collection of Slavic and Germanic tribes, not just one big tribe of Slavs. That they, they were never um, that they were amalgamated politically later in history. So it's a complicated story. But the Moschi and and the Tabarni, Mesek and Tubal, that that identification is correct. But there's no historical Togarma in Anatolia. And, and the Togarma of Ezekiel chapter 27 would be difficult to identify. I guess I guess I, I kind of see Turkey as maybe not, you know, being Gog or Magog in and of itself. It's kind of that's where they're that's where Gog and Magog is. That's where they're rolling through on the way to Europe. Well, well the land of Magog is not most of the nations of Genesis chapter 10 can be identified. I have a web, I, I have an essay at Christagenia, the race of Genesis chapter 10, which establishes that originally all of the Genesis chapter 10 nations were white and discusses those which can be identified and assigned to a certain location in ancient history. Okay, most of them, most of those tribes in Genesis chapter 10 can be assigned to a particular location in both ancient history and the Bible. And I, I could run down the list, I don't know what good it would do us here, but people move. People move, people migrate. They migrate for sometimes for reasons of a want of resources and sometimes for reasons that are political, what, where they were pushed out by a bigger and more powerful tribe and, and had to move to go seek a new home. And, and we could see that in our own history. In, in, in the ancient world, from about the time of the Assyrian invasions of Syria and Israel, all the way to the 5th century AD, there were great movements of tribes from Mesopotamia up through the Caucasus Mountains and both east and west from that point where, where the, you know, the Caucasus Mountains emerged north out of the, from in between the Black and the Caspian Seas. You know, anthropologists 
students of ancient history, professors of ancient history, back in the 18th and 19th centuries, they understood all this very well. And that's why they referred to us, to white people generally, as Caucasians. That's why. Because they understood that we had passed through the region of the Caucasus Mountains on our way to Europe. Now, there were other routes of travel by sea, and white people that arrived in Europe even earlier, many centuries earlier, but the bulk of the Germanic people came through the Caucasus Mountains and into Europe around the Black Sea and, and left a trail behind in history. They were called Sake, they were called Kimeroi or Kimerians. They, they settled in the Kimri on the Black Sea. That's why it has that name. Eventually they migrated down the Danube River Valley into Europe where they that their names were changed by the Romans and, and, and the Greeks to Galatahi and then the Gauls and then the Romans split the Gauls to um, identify the Germans who were east of the Rhine and distinguish them from the Gauls west of the Rhine and, and then from there developed all other little tribal names and, and sub-names and, and history is complicated and it takes a long time to unwind all of that. Yeah, and... That's uh, a huge digression, one, by the way, from, from yeah, our topic. I've listened to one of your shows about you know, the origins of the German people and how they were uh, you know, uh, traipsing about Europe with, uh, with covered wagons. Right, back in the and, and second we, century BC. And what what do we see, you know, a few hundred years later, we see white people getting on ships, going to the United States, and traversing the North American continent in covered wagons. The same covered wagons, right. Yep. The niggers never developed a wheel, never mind... <laughs> That's a covered wagon and, and four yeah. wheels mounted so that they could all go in the same direction. <laughs> so, so there's no way that niggers can be the true Israelites because well, they never formed any nation. They don't have enough IQ to form a, a, a civilization. And, uh, you know, on that note, I, I just wanted to... Uh, well, well, that leads me right into something that, that is actually fortuitous if you want me to just give a brief overview of um, the prelude to Ezekiel 38 and 39. Sure, go right ahead. Yeah, you know, it, it's Ezekiel's prophecies, first, they're out of order. And, and that's pretty clear right from the context themselves, right? Um, Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 21 begins a series of visions that Ezekiel says are in the 12th year of the captivity. Ezekiel is one of those um, princes of Judah who, along with Daniel, was taken into captivity by the Babylonians before the fall of Jerusalem. They were taken as a sort of a ransom where Nebuchadnezzar had collected the chief men of of Jerusalem and and artisans and craftsmen and a certain number of warriors he he collected them all up most of them being young men and and it was 
I think the number may have been 10,000. It may have been 1,000. I'm doing this from memory. It may have been 10,000. But he brought them back to Babylon <clears throat> in the time that he put Jeho Jehoiachin in captivity in Babylon. And he held them there as ransom. And, and that was typically done to keep a subject state in obedience. Well, it didn't work with Jerusalem, right? And 12 years later, the Babylonians came back and just flattened the city, right? And, and deported everybody off to Babylon, all the survivors. Well, Ezekiel chapter 33, 21 starts the 12th year of that captivity. That's the 12th year of the captivity of Ezekiel and those other people who were first taken to Babylon. And that's 585 B.C. And that's also the year that Jerusalem falls to the Babylonians in the 10th month. That's Ezekiel 33:21. But if you look at Ezekiel chapter 29 verse 17, that was the 27th year of the captivity that that prophecy was given. So the books of Ezekiel are out of order. A lot of um, the better scholars understand this, and someday they should be put back in their proper order. Ezekiel 29:17 is the 27th year of captivity, and from 29.17 through 29.21 through chapter 30 verse 19 those verses should be the very end of Ezekiel's prophecy the chapter 40 after this vision of Ezekiel 38 and 39 Ezekiel chapter 40 is in is Ezekiel says it's in the 25th year of captivity, meaning his own captivity. And then he says the 14th year after the city was smitten. Okay, so that would be 572 BC. So it's the 25th year of Ezekiel's captivity, and 12 years later the city was destroyed, and, and he says it's the 14th year after the city was smitten, or after Jerusalem was destroyed. So that prophecy that and and that begins that um everybody refers to it as the third temple prophecy that that should actually be long before the passages in in these in the correct order of Ezekiel that should be long before what we have here in Ezekiel 38 and 39 but it's all out of order so that's the point I'm trying to make right and and that's important to understand is to follow the years in Ezekiel when he says he's getting these visions because somehow the ancient scribes had the books in all the wrong order or, or perhaps they did it that way purposely who knows it, it can't be easy to assess their motives but what's important here is that the chapters of Ezekiel from Ezekiel chapter 34 through 39 all came in a single vision in that single vision in in the um, from Ezekiel 33:21 and the 12th year of the captivity right these chapters are a single vision from 34 through 39 so they have to be understood as a unit and Ezekiel chapter 34 talks about the lost sheep the emigrated and deported Israelites. In Ezekiel chapters 35 and 36, we see a clear prophecy that Esau was taking over the lands which formerly belonged to Israel.
So in Ezekiel chapter 34, it says Yahweh the Lord, right? Says Yahweh says, my sheep have wandered over every mountain. They're already gone. The true Israelites are already gone. And then in Ezekiel chapters 35 and 36, we see Esau is going to take over this land which formerly belonged to Israel. And this was actually fulfilled a short time later. After all of Judah, or what was left of Judah in Jerusalem, was taken off to Babylon, the Edomites moved up from their former lands and took over most of the, the, the lands of Israel and Judah. Those Edomites later became known as Jews. 600 years later, they became known as Jews. Ezekiel chapter 37 talks about an eventual awakening and a coming to life of the true people of God as opposed to those Edomite imposters. That the true people of God, that the house of Judah and the house of Israel, that they would be made one stick. That happened in Christ, but not in Palestine because most of that house of Judah and house of Israel, those sheep who were lost and wandered over every mountain, were in Europe by the time of Christ. That's why the apostles went to Europe with the gospel. Now, Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. Oh, didn't, didn't, no, so the, the apostles never went to China then, right? No, the apostles never went to China. The Jesuits were the first ones to try to bring Christianity to China in, in the 13th century, I think. And, and they brought banks at the same time, of course, and China threw them out. And so, they didn't go to sub-Saharan Africa. They never went to sub-Saharan Africa. Nobody would try. That, that, that wasn't attempted until perhaps the 15th or 16th century. So what you're saying is the apostles went to all the areas where the white people were at the time. Absolutely. There's no records of them going to non-whites. You had some Coptic Christians in Egypt, but Egypt had a lot of white people at that time. At that time. Yeah, Egypt was still yeah pretty white. I mean, who built the pyramids? That, and, that and world the became brown. Uh, I mean, Egypt suffered... A period of race mixing and a degradation of its of most of its people with Nubian invasions which happened in the 7th century BC maybe in the late 8th century BC and Nubians ruled over Egypt for 75 years but eventually they were overthrown by um, the original Egyptians and driven out and Egypt's from that point forward, the Nubian blood really never left Egypt, and Egypt became more and more race-mixed as time progressed. But the Egypt of the time of Christ, which was made famous, was what was the Egypt of Cleopatra and Antony. That wasn't an Egyptian Egypt. It was never an Egyptian Egypt. That was a Macedonian Greek Egypt. Yeah, the, the the average IQ in Egypt today, I believe, is like eighty-one. You know um, that there's no way that you know, and that's that's why that's another thing. Uh, they they keep a pretty good lock in those pyramids. Access to the pyramids is under pretty tight lock and key. You know, they don't want people digging around in there because what they'll what'll happen is they'll figure out that 
the, the mud people that live there today had no connection to the people that actually built the pyramids. Well, well right, and the Egyptian government and the Egyptian academics know that. They know that. But they, yeah. they try to suppress that because they don't want to lose control of their own population. And, and, and they want to continue to profit on the tourist dollars. And, and they want to continue to um, deceive people into, the, in, into believing that they represent the original Egyptians, which is certainly not true. <coughs> I'm sorry, not by any means. So Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39 describe a true Israel, not necessarily a geographical Israel, but the true Israel surrounded by all of her enemies. Now these, this true Israel was already described as lost sheep who already wandered over every mountain. And this happened when the Assyrians came and carried all of the people of Israel away. And they carried them into the cities of the Medes and they settled them around the, in, in northern Assyria and around the base of the Black Sea and the Caspian Seas. And, and Flavius Josephus describes, writing around 90 AD, in Antiquities in chapter 13 I believe it is he describes these um, so-called lost ten tribes as living in northern Mesopotamia and the regions around the Black Sea which are on the other side of the Euphrates he calls it the Euphrates River which is what we would know today as northern Iraq Armenia what well, well Strabo, the geographer, and, and Diodorus Siculus, writers of the first century BC, tell us that that's where the Scythians dwell at that time. Now, many other Scythians had long been in Europe, and Strabo identifies them, and Diodorus Siculus identified them as these same Scythians who were dwelling um, in, in what we know today as Armenia. And Josephus describes that same land as the land of an innumerable multitude of the so-called ten tribes. Now Josephus, Josephus can only be describing the Scythians that live in Armenia and, and north of there in his time. And he knew these people. And he knew some of the tribes that came from them. And he identified some of those tribes as the Parthians and the Alans and, and related tribes. Josephus knew who the ten tribes were. And we see that when they're identified, we see large numbers of what became the Germanic people in due time and over many centuries and many travels. It, it's, this isn't a secret. It's only a secret to most people because it's not taught in schools. And it's only not taught in schools because it's not convenient for the Jews. Well, they, they have successfully rewritten history. Um, so that, that, that's why people can get thrown off you know, by a Joel Richardson or a John Hagee or 
you know, any of these other ass clowns that you'll, you'll come across. Because, I mean, I think people have an innate sense in them that something is deeply wrong with what's going on today. They don't know exactly what. They Just the average Joe Blow on the street, if you asked him, hey, are, are, do you think we're living in the end times? I, I, I think eight or nine out of ten people would agree with that. Maybe they don't know exactly why, but people just know something not good is going on today. Well, well then, I could go through every um, point of Scripture. But we would be here for three years talking about Ezekiel 38 and 39. Yeah. All of the prophets, not only Ezekiel, but Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, Micah, Amos, Joel, all of the prophets describe the children of Israel as being scattered. The promises in Genesis that the children of Israel would become many nations and be scattered to the north, to the east, to the south, to the west, even if you go back to Genesis, where Jacob is at Bethel, right? Jacob's in Bethel, and he has this dream, and and he um, has this dream of angels ascending the, the, the ladder to heaven, right? The vision of Jacob's ladder, which is pretty famous, and, and most... Christians are familiar with it and and when Jacob has the vision of the ladder he says and and behold the Lord stood above it and said I am Yahweh God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac the land whereon thou liest to thee I will give it and to thy seed and thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south and in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the, the earth or the land which is what the word really means be blessed what well, well if you spread abroad to the east from or to the west from Bethel, you're, you're going to end up in the Mediterranean Sea, right? Uh, I mean, or to the north, you're going to end up at the Caucasus Mountains, right? That this was never fulfilled really in the Jews. Um, in two Samuel chapter seven verse ten, Samuel is giving this prophecy, and he's talking to David, and they're standing in Palestine. And it says, Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more. And when Samuel tells that to David, they're in Palestine. So Palestine cannot be the place. If the children of Israel were scattered, if the children of Israel wandered over every mountain. All of the prophecies of Christ in the Old Testament tell us that he will gather those people into one place. He will gather them. So there's no prophecy between the time of Samuel and the time of the second coming of Christ because he didn't gather them at his first coming that can apply to the children of Israel that can have anything to do with Palestine. None of it can have anything to do with Palestine because the children of Israel were scattered from Palestine in ancient times. So all the prophecies concerning the children of Israel after that time, except for the actual ministry of Christ in Judea, 
they they have to relate these mountains of Israel, these nations of Israel, that they have to relate to somewhere or someplace outside of Palestine. So when the camp of the saints is surrounded, and that's describing Christian people, it can't be in Palestine. No, I, it it sounds like a people that had God's favor is screwed it up. Um, got deported, um, but then resettled somewhere else, and now they're they're under siege by these hordes. Became um, Christians because my sheep yep. hear my voice. So I guess in my own mind, I kind of think of it as you know when you look at the camp of the saints, or you know this this prophecy in Ezekiel thirty-eight and thirty-nine. It, it's kind of describing okay the. The children of Israel will be dwelling somewhere, so it's kind of like a home game for us. So there's an invasion coming in, and you know it says the so here in uh, um, you know they're going to be a cloud to cover the land. You know, and and what are we seeing today? Um, you know, if you go back, if you go up to Minneapolis, um, it, you know, just a few short years ago. It was 90% white. Now, if you go down the streets, it's not 90% white anymore. There's a bunch of Somalians there, and they are like a cloud to cover the land. <laughs> right, absolutely. That the um, what we can go through e Ezekiel um, verse by verse, if you would like. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to, okay, so you've kind of covered, like, a, if we're looking at Ezekiel 38, you've kind of covered the first part of that, and then, you know, at verse 16, it says, uh, And thou shalt come up against my people of Israel as a cloud to cover the land. It shall be in the later days, and I will bring thee against my land, that the nations may know me when I shall be sanctified in thee, O God, before their eyes. So, in essence, kind of what that's getting at is is that God is going to uh, bring these people against us in order to sanctify himself. Right. I know an hour has already passed, but I could probably spend another hour on those first 15 verses. <laughs> I'm being honest. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you could. I'm just yeah. scratching the surface so far. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, we could... um. Well, we we could start to do that and finish this in 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 a few weeks, or, or in in a, in six weeks. I, I I don't and and go on to the European immigration next week, and and those things will work hand in hand, right? That they really will. I, I mean, if if you're willing to suffer through that, but you're you're right that these, yet you know, this doesn't necessarily. We can't rule out a. a a military invasion. We can't rule it out in the future. I wouldn't rule it out. But there's nothing in Ezekiel 38 and 39 which necessitate a military invasion, even though it's described in military terms. And and that's because the the mountains of Israel, the true mountains of, of true Israel, which are the white Christian nations, they've already been overrun and there's already looting and pillaging going on that they've already been looted and, and 
the way Ezekiel describes this invasion, I, I will put hooks into thy jaws and I will bring thee forth. We can't avoid this invasion. No, no, there's no getting out of it. It's coming <clears throat> and it, it's, you know, ultimately God is bringing these people here. And that's why we haven't had the chance to vote on it. No, there's no, there's no, there's really no stopping it. Yeah, everybody here wants a wall, but we're, we're not going to get one because we're in the land of unwalled villages. But the, um, what what I'm saying is that there's no, you know, that there is no logical reason why nations that, when compared to these other races, why the white nations, which are the most technically advanced and and the most law-abiding nations of world history there's no logical reason why they should let themselves be overrun with these backwards law-breaking um varmints i i i don't know what to call them these street shitters and i i don't have an adjective bad enough to describe them all in 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 one term well you know i like the term zombie you know the term zombie apocalypse has been bandied about well you're seeing it folks the zombie apocalypse is low iq mud people savages flooding your streets flooding your communities flooding your cities that's the zombie apocalypse. It's going on right now. Well, well, we should probably go through these verses in detail in, in another program, maybe in three, four, six, eight, ten weeks, however sure. long you want to wait. But, but what, what I'd like to say first is, is that we have several um, visions of the same circumstances for our people in the last days. When I say our people, of course, I mean the, the white peoples of the nations formerly known as Christendom, right? We have several visions. We have Revelation chapter 20. We have Ezekiel chapter 38, and we have Ezekiel chapter 39. There's another one in Micah chapter 4 that, that that's for another day. But Revelation 20, Ezekiel 38, and Ezekiel 39 are all three separate visions of the same events. Ezekiel 38 and 39 are not consecutive visions of different events or even of developing events. What, what, it, what they are, what they represent is what's called a parallelism. Parallelism was a Hebrew literary device by which the same entity, event, person, place, city, whatever, was described twice in a row with different language, each, um, each statement reflecting a different aspect of the same entity. That's a parallelism. If, if you say... Um, Jesus Christ, King of Kings, Prince of Princes, Lord of Lords. That's three parallelisms, all describing Jesus Christ. He's the Lord of Lords, he's the Prince of Princes, and he's the King of Kings, right? He's all of those things. That's a parallelism. That's a very simplistic parallelism. So in Ezekiel 
um, in Genesis chapters 10 and 11. In Genesis chapter 10, you have a table of nations. In Genesis chapter 11, you have the story of the Tower of Babel. And at the end of both chapters, it says that they're, that they're separated into these nations. It's not two separations of the people. It's one separation described consecutively in two different ways talking about different aspects of that same separation, right? So that's what we have here. We have two chapters that both have contained visions which describe the same events, and they each describe different aspects of the same event. That's a parallelism in Hebrew. So these aren't two different visions. They're not consecutive. You have Ezekiel 38 describes that this um, the the camp of the saints being surrounded by all the these other nations that Satan gathered against it, basically. Except Satan here is called Gog from the land of Magog. And then in Ezekiel chapter 39, you have the same thing. And then in Revelation chapter 20, you have the same thing. So you got three visions of the same events. And when you put them all together, it's much clearer what what it means and, and how it's going to happen. So, yeah, it says once the, once the battle gets going, uh, the children of Israel, um, we will spoil them that, that spoiled us and rob those that, that robbed us, saith the Lord God. So and- that means... If, if it was just a strict military invasion, you know, it's kind of hard to steal everything all at once. So by, you know, robbing, it means they must have some sort of a presence here. So that's what we see with, with these Africans that, that are getting these, you know, and, and these mestizos that are getting massive welfare subsidies. I mean, they're just robbing us blind. Right. And we don't realize that that's robbery. We don't yeah, realize that. We're, we're, we're subsidizing an invasion against us. And the Jews are making money off us hand over fist. It, if you're a Mexican and you come into a foreign nation, California, which used to be a foreign nation, right? It's not really anymore. You, it's, you a, come, it's a political subdivision of Mexico. Right. You come into California, which is mostly gringos, right? And you go apply for welfare and live off of those gringos for free. You don't see that as a um, social service. You see that as pillage. You're conquering these people. You're making them pay you. We see it as social services and safety nets and all this language that these Jewish sociologists have concocted by which to deceive us. It's all a deception. But now the Mexican doesn't have to break in or the, the, the ape nigger doesn't have to break down your door and steal from you. We can hand him a plastic card and put credits on it and he can go to the store and just buy buy shit. Yeah, right. It's like well, welfare is distributed vic- victimhood, right? The, the victims of the entire community of whites who each put in a little chunk and, and give it to the Mexican. And, and it's pillage. It, it's the, the Mexican is really looting and pillaging and robbing us. And we're too stupid to see it that way. Yeah, we're subsidizing them to reproduce against us and we're subsidizing Africans to reproduce against us. 
the the African population in this country has more than doubled in the last fifty years. How Since many Lyndon Johnson took office? Yeah, the the, the 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 ape population is more than doubled. How many white children have not been born because whites cannot afford to have babies? What well, when the average white taxpayer is paying? I know the income tax rate might be twenty percent, but that gallon of gas you buy about. 60% of the cost of that gallon of gas is taxes. That gallon of milk you buy, a third of the cost of that gallon of milk is taxes. But both in excise taxes, sales taxes, taxes on the farmer or, or the corporation, the dairy that created the milk, it, it's taxes. You're giving up over half of your hard-earned money to governments in one form of taxes or another, either income tax, sales tax, social security tax, unemployment tax, that there's some kind of tax there that you're giving up. And, and when you total it all up, that the excise taxes, the license taxes, the transportation taxes for your goods, when you total it all up, it's over half your pay is going for taxes. Oh yeah, that's, that's just on income. And then if you own a house, you're gonna pay and paid dearly on property tax. Property and taxes. What does what does that money go to? Well, to educate niggers and spicks. And, to try and, to teach them English, which is a white language. In in the nineteen fifties and sixties, which is after which after that period, our birth rates began to decline sharply. In the nineteen fifties and sixties. The average household paid about 5% of its income in income taxes. And the hidden taxes, <clears throat> license fees, excise taxes, and all the other taxes were, were significantly lower as a percentage of income than they are today. And with Lyndon Johnson's Great Society, which is coupled with the immigration bill, that's when the taxes started to go up and up and up and up and up to, to where they are now. And, and there's no end to it. So, how many more white babies would have been born if taxes stayed at the level that they were in 1961, all through the 70s and 80s and 90s? Because when you have half the money that you used to have, you're going to have half the children, if you have children at all. So, whites have yeah, financed their own destruction. Pretty much, yeah. That that's exactly what's happened, and you know they. I mean, it, it's really a. a you got to hand it to the Jews. They're pretty slick with this. So they keep incrementally raising taxes on us. White people will voluntarily stop reproducing. So, hey, wait a minute. I can't afford to have four kids. I can only have one, maybe, you know, and still have a car and keep a roof over my head. And the Jews use that to then go around and they still extract money from you. And then now they're subsidizing apes who can't produce anything. 70 or 80 IQ Africans can serve no meaningful role in a modern economy, but yet there they are having four, five, six kids. That the um, the Abdullah the Sand Nigger comes over from Syria or Jordan or, or to some other Palestinian hellhole, Middle East hellhole, shithole country. And, and he gets a big fat loan to buy a gas station 
and because he's an immigrant he doesn't pay income taxes for five years. In the meantime he's sending as much money back to his shithole country as he can so that his his, his brother Abdul can come over and and he takes his gas station when the five years is up and sells it to his brother so that his brother being a new immigrant doesn't pay any taxes for five more years and it goes from Abdul to Ali to Hakim to Rashid down the line and nobody's ever paying taxes for this business because they keep passing it off it, it's it's what's going on in in Gatlinburg Tennessee back about 10 years ago there was an article and and it's the the, the Jew lawyer that owns the old smoky distillery that makes the famous moonshine right it's not really moonshine some of it's pretty good but it's not really moonshine well well he started buying up from his profits from the moonshine the tourist dollars he started buying up all the property the commercial property in Gatlinburg and and it was an open article in in a Tennessee periodical that he was only renting his properties to immigrants because they had they didn't have to pay taxes for five years on their new businesses they could afford to pay more rent and he could make more money and buy more property so yeah, he's, I mean, so he, we're getting he's a, a lot blind yeah right you know, Jew, Jew lawmakers Jew lawyers um, you know Jewish bureaucrats in the government running the social safety net and see on the surface white people support a social safety net like northern europeans and and those those things work great if you have a white country right you know if we have a few if we have a few brothers that are uh you know maybe handicapped or you know maybe not you know quite cream of the crop well that's no problem you know in a white productive society we, we don't have any problem taking care of those people but when you intentionally flood the country with low IQ apes and street shitters and, and sand niggers that can't ever produce anything, it's not going to work, and eventually it's going to collapse the civilization. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and even even in Obadiah, it says, um, you know, we'll possess their possessions. Well, well, Obadiah is another parallel prophecy to um, Ezekiel thirty-nine. And, and the, the 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 revelation, you know, chapter twenty, the revelation is a very difficult book to understand because most people just want to read it like it's giving a vision of things that are going to happen chronologically one after another. That screws everybody up. It's a series of visions, and some of them go back into the past, and some of them extend into the future, and some of them extend into the future further than others. And there's also parallelism in the Revelation. In Revelation chapter 17, um, you have the whore who joined herself to the beast. In Revelation chapter 12, you had the woman who fled into the wilderness. That's the same as the whore who joined herself to the beast. The woman who had fled into the wilderness, gave birth to the Christ child, and she had the twelve stars, which are the twelve tribes of Israel. She represents the children of Israel. 
and they fled off into the wilderness. When did they flee into the wilderness? They fled before Jeremiah wrote in Jeremiah chapter 30, and he said that the children of Israel who were spared from the sword, those who weren't destroyed by the Assyrians and Babylonians, found grace in the wilderness. So they were already in the wilderness. Speak, and he's speaking of the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And as that prophecy unfolds, that's proven. So that's Jeremiah chapter 30, 31. It builds into the prophecy of a New Testament for those same people, a new covenant for those same people. So we see they're in the wilderness. So John sees this woman who's taken off into the wilderness in Revelation chapter 12. And then in Revelation chapter 17, he goes back to the wilderness to see the woman. And now the woman is a whore who joined herself to this beast. That's the same children of Israel. First, they were established in new white nations in Europe and, and elsewhere, America, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa. But then they became joined to this beast, world Jewry and became a whore for all these niggers and squat monsters. That's exactly what's happened since yeah, she we, joined herself to world Jewry, to this beast. Yeah, well, yeah, well, Satan was locked away in the pit for a thousand years. We, and we prospered in Europe. and That's what I'm getting Europe. to. That, that's yeah. what I'm getting to. That That's a parallelism. It's a separate vision of the same circumstance expressed in a different way. Now, in, in Revelation chapter 20, the, the children of Israel, the, the camp of the saints is uh, ultimately, it, it's um, delivered from that situation and, and you go into the vision of the city of God, right? But, you know, the, um, in, in Revelation chapter 20, the, the devil that deceived the people ends up in the lake of fire and all that. that that's the victory that the camp of the saints shall have over Satan and, and these nations that gather against them to battle. And that's described in Revelation chapter 20. But that's a parallelism with the visions from Revelation 17, 18, and 19. In, in Revelation 18, Babylon falls... And then we see that the children, the, the camp of the saints, the people of God are told, come out from her, my people, lest you suffer her punishments, and pay unto her double what she rewarded you. So that's the vindication. Yeah, and so we're, we're, we're kind of taking it on the chin now, but we're going to come back with a vengeance. And the, the final victory here will be ours, and it's coming soon. Absolutely, yeah, and, and, and yeah, like I had alluded to in Obadiah, uh, Obadiah one seventeen. But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions, and the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble. And right, kindle in them and devour them. And the house and of Esau are the Edomite Jews. So. Yeah, we're going to wipe out the Jews. That's the real Holocaust is right there in Obadiah 117 and 118. Well, well in Ezekiel chapter 38, these, the, these hordes come in and they cover the mountains of Israel. 
and they start to devour and take people captive and and loot and pillage and and that taking of people captive is the intermarriage that we see between whites and these other races and that devouring and looting and pillaging we see every time we give a nigger a job we give a mexican a welfare check or or, or a, a half-breed kid gets your your uncle's inheritance uh, i mean your uncle's estate right as an inheritance that's what's going on there and if you wind back a little bit to obadiah 15 for the day of the lord is near upon all the heathen as thou hast done it shall be done unto thee thy reward shall return upon thine own head for as you have drunk upon my holy mountain that's not a mountain in palestine when yahweh says my holy mountain he's talking about the children of israel collectively the camp of the saints He's talking about them collectively. As you have drunk upon my holy mountain. That's what these other races are doing right now. Taking advantage of the people of God and growing fat from looting and pillaging them. Even though it might be done bureaucratically, it's still looting and pillaging. Aside from the outright robbery, because they're also a collection of criminals. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. They shall drink and they shall swallow down. Meaning that they're going to drink that cup of God's wrath that's explained in, in the Revelation. In similar prophecies, in parallel prophecies. And they shall be as though they had not been. So we have all of these prophecies are basically um, of the same chain of events from different perspectives. And we can put that together in greater detail if we actually go through these verses line from line, line by line. I mean, that's boring as hell maybe, but it, it's worthwhile. But we can't do it tonight. That ain't going to happen. Micah chapter 4 is another one. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion. Daughter of Zion. That, that's the people of God that used to be in ancient Palestine and aren't anymore because they were moved to new lands. I don't know if Don's still with me. You still there? Oh, shit. I, yeah, I, sorry. I had myself on mute. I, I was talking. Sorry about that, Bill. That's okay. Uh, yeah, I'm back. I was um, just waiting for some sort of response, but that's okay. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, I'm sorry. Um, well, well, that's all I'm saying is Ezekiel 38, Ezekiel 39, Revelation chapter 20, Revelation chapter 17, 18, 19. Revelation 19, the marriage supper of the Lamb, is when all of the enemies of Christ are destroyed. Who are the enemies of Christ? The Jews, the Edomite Jews, and all of these nations which are looting and pillaging the people of God right now. Which are the other races, the non-white races. Yep. So they're going to rob and pillage, and then we are going to bury them. So even though we're on the short end of the stick now, ultimately we win. So even though we're taking our lumps now, as, as it says we're going to, God says, I will bring me up against my mountain of Israel. Um We'll end up on top. Now, it, you know, how bad is it going to get before we get final victory? I think it's going to get a lot worse. Um, 
you know, I think we're going to see more and more of these people. And if, if you want to call them that, I think it's going to be so bad that civilization does collapse. I, 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 I'm pretty convinced that's what the fall of Babylon is, is the complete collapse of civilization. And then it's going to be game on. Right. It has to be an economic collapse, which would yep. lead to the collapse. Uh, I mean, this whole modern civilization is based solely on economic economic principles, on, on, on economy. It, it's not that there's no cultural basis for modern society because culture doesn't matter in a multicultural world. We don't, our institutions are no longer geared along the lines of, of race and culture and nation and heritage. It, it's all just, um, life is all just one economic decision after another now. And everything's reduced to dollars and cents. Yep. Pretty much, and that can continue for a certain amount of time. Like I'm not, I'm not saying it's going to collapse tomorrow. And in fact, I, I think, you know, we're in for another good five to ten years of this. It would be my guess, at least, if not more. Um, so I don't think it's going to happen overnight by any stretch of the imagination. Well, right, but the more of us that see what's going on now, see what's really going on. All of these political pundits, all, all of these alt-right people looking for political solutions, all, all of these people that think that they could, that's what the purpose of Christian expectations was, right? They think that they could win this nation back at the voting box or by supporting a politician or, or any um, means that the world gives you to... Um, think that you could rectify things, that they're all just kidding themselves. They're all just spinning their wheels. They're all clowns spinning a ball on, on their noses, like, like seals in a circus. None of them are ever going to get anywhere. No, no. And uh, it, 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 as more of these low IQ people flood in, the system is going to have a hard time keeping this up. So I guess what I would see ultimately is the system's going to slow down. I mean, the economy now, for all of its faults, is still functioning fairly well. Now, eventually what's going to happen is you're going to see a major state like Illinois or California or Texas uh, have, there's going to be too much welfare going out, not enough productive people, and it's going to start degrading. So it's not going to just collapse overnight. There's going to be a degradation. And then once the collapse does start, though, I think it's going to go pretty quick. But to actually get to the point where the, the machinery of the system starts losing steam, you know, I think we're a few years away from that yet. Well, well I think that, uh, you know, no state is going to collapse until the cops stop getting paid. Yeah, I mean, and we're, we're seeing signs of that where some of these, you know, like here in Austin, they're having a hard time getting an agreement with the cops. And you know, on, on the outward appearances, this town is booming. I mean, there's new, brand new state-of-the-art skyscrapers going up everywhere. But at the same time, they can't pay the police. They're working without a contract. Um, I mean, the schools are bad. I mean, we, they're they're full of muds. The grocery store is is full of mestizos and apes. I mean, they have to have an armed security guard at the grocery store. So the guy's got to he's got to police the parking lot. And you know, twenty four seven basically. 
Who's working in the skyscrapers? Yeah, well, that's that's a good question. You you do have so, some white people, and then but then you've got a lot of imported street shitters. And and the skyscrapers are probably being built because companies received huge twenty-year tax concessions. I'm guessing. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, the, the downtown real estate's expensive, so maybe they got a pass. And uh, who knows how? Who knows what? How the Jews got that finagled, but. I'm sure it's all Jewish real estate money that's that's building this stuff. Well, well, that's how it typically works. I mean, companies get huge tax concessions, and they come into a community like Austin, and then they tax, you know, they in turn um, stress out, let's put it that way, the infrastructure, and, and clog everything up with the additional traffic, that they're not paying for because they got these huge tax concessions and and then the local citizens are are shouldered with the burden because the corporations don't have it that that's the way it's a it's a never-ending cycle yeah i mean eventually you know we're, we're we're even starting to see you know some power outages here and there and you know ems doesn't respond as quickly or you know the cops don't always show up unless somebody's injured you know, it, it's things like that. So it's it's getting like that, where services are degrading, but they're they're still being performed. Like in Detroit, the cops have basically given up. In Baltimore, the cops have given up. Um, those cities are in a lot more trouble. So yeah, it's degrading, but I don't see a collapse, you know, on the horizon just yet. Well, I saw the cops give up in Newark, New Jersey, in the '80s. If you had a car accident, the cops yep. weren't sticking around, right? That they would drive by, reach out the window, and hand you the accident forms, tell you to fill them out, and they would leave. <laughs> they weren't sticking around. They were targets. Yeah, I, I mean, the cops are there for the paycheck, and they're not going to go out of their way. They're not going to fall on any hand grenades for a citizen. I mean, they're, they're there to get paid first and foremost. And most of the cops aren't even white anymore, let's face it. You know, they're... These government jobs, like the post office and police, I mean, these are these are affirmative action positions at this point. Right, it's welfare. Yep, it's another form of welfare. It's, it's not, another not... form of being robbed. Yeah, so we're we're gonna see more thievery, you know, from our people until this thing collapses. Well, I mean, we'll be back here to go through Ezekiel 38 and 39 again, I think, in the, in the near future, maybe next month or the month after. It, it's just something that, that I wanted to make sure we cover in a series because we, we keep hitting, I, I mean, the Camp of the Saints, it, it's the most poetic of all of these prophecies describing our modern times, and, and that's probably why we use it to, to describe this situation today more than any other but it's not the only one that draws the same picture ezekiel 38 and 39 each draw the same picture and and when you add them and obadiah and michael when you add them all together it it becomes clearer and clearer and clearer exactly what's going on today yes it does and uh yeah we will stay tuned folks we will be here to break this all down in in greater detail in the coming weeks well, thanks for being here, Don, and praise Yahweh. Thank you. Praise Yahweh.